Welcome back, everyone, and thank you for joining us for today's podcast from Dublin First Baptist Church in Dublin, North Carolina. We hope you'll be encouraged today as you listen to our message. For more information, please visit our website at www.dublinfbc.org. That's www.dublinfbc.org. Now let's join the congregation of Dublin First Baptist as we listen to the preaching of God's Word. Well, let's go ahead. We're in Colossians. You heard that? Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 this evening. You can go ahead and turn there. Something's been on, kind of on my thoughts, I guess, lately. But uh, Colossians chapter 3 this evening. You can see there from the uh, title, slide 2, pretty important question, pretty big question. What is my identity? What is my identity? And uh, it's, it's an important question for us all because the answer to the question of what our identity is really forms the basis uh, for how we're going to live our lives, each of us individually and collectively as well. Um, just to kind of think about some things as we start off here, we, we here would say that we have got kind of a shared American identity, right? We were born in America, we're here in America, there are values that are American values, there are things that go along with being that, that we would all attribute to our identity, a cultural identity that we share. It's different and distinct from, say, someone from another country, okay? They have a different identity, they have a different uh, culture. All right, it's very common to us. It brings some, some sense of unity, even if it is an, an earthly unity, a common sense of values. But I think we could go a little further just by way of introduction. In a lot of ways here, we also have a southern identity, do we not? I mean, this is the south. Unless you go to Georgia, and then it's not the south. If you ever visit anyone in Georgia, they tell you North Carolina is not far enough down. But, uh, but it is. We're southern. And so that gives us a cultural identity that's different than the north, okay? That's different than the Midwest. That's different than way out west, right? Praise the Lord for that. It's crazy in California. But the point is, we have an identity that's unique there. We could even go further. There's a North Carolina identity. There's an Eastern Carolina versus Western Carolina identity. There's all kind of different ways that we could break that down. But that identity shapes who we are, does it not? It shapes who we are, what we do, the, the decisions we make, the things that we are. That identity drives us in certain directions. So there's a corporate identity. There's individual identity that all of us take on as well. And here's why... This, here's why the idea of identity is so important, whether it's community or whether it's individual. Uh, reading through some things in, in preparation for tonight and looking over some things, there is actually uh, a very large group of people that you wouldn't think of in America right now that, that suffer from a sort of a depression. And that would be people who are recently retired, especially men who are recently retired. This was a number of studies done in Canada. Sorry, sorry, Rodney. We love you, Rodney. But uh, the identity there is why. Okay, I was reading an article, and it was actually about retirement and planning well for retirement, but it wasn't anything to do with money. It wasn't anything to do with investments or any of the things that you'd think about for retirement. It was actually doing with the emotional state. Specifically, women, you must be better at separating all the different roles that you play during your lives than, than we are as men because that's who it affects the most. But here's, what the, here's a quote straight from the article, and I thought it was so good. Much of your self-identity is defined by what you do for a living. 
And I think that's very true for a lot of us. I think even, even ladies maybe do this as well, but, but a lot of times this is what men will do. I do it. I find myself doing it. Hello, my name is Tommy Knight, and I'm the associate pastor and music minister of Dublin First Baptist Church. Now, that's true. That's my role. It's not necessarily my identity. But a lot of times men will wrap their identity up in their job, in their work. And when they are no longer that thing anymore, it causes some anxiety. In fact, that was the very... What said this? What are you when you're not that anymore? What are you when you're not that anymore? I'm not trying to depress anybody tonight, but that was the question that was asked. We have a lot of temporal and earthly identities that we hold on to, that we cling to, and they can cause us problems if we're not careful. But the reality is this. We have an eternal, never-changing, always constant identity, and that is child of God if you're saved tonight. Our identity is in Christ, and that should be our primary uh, way that we identify. That's our primary identity. That's why it's so important for us, because it never changes. It's eternal, and, it, and it's for us to live out right now. It's a present reality, but it does direct our pursuits, our perspectives, and our purpose, just like anything else that we might identify with. It directs those three things, but it also corporately binds us together as a Christian community of faith spans all ages, it's a unity that lasts forever, identity with Christ, and all those things are determined by how we view that. So let's, let's look here at scripture, at what it says, just the first four verses of Colossians chapter 3, we'll pray and then we'll get into the study. It says there, if ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth, for ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for an opportunity again to come to your house and to worship you, Lord, together, to hear from your word. I pray, God, that you would speak tonight, that we would hear distinctly and clearly, God, you moving in our lives. Help us to see the importance and reality of who we are right now in Christ positionally, God, and may our uh, uh, direction be uh, reshaped, God, by, by what your word has for us this evening. In your name we pray. Amen. So first off, we see life's pursuits redirected. Life's pursuits redirected. When we find our identity in the right place, when we place it there, our pursuits are redirected. Colossians 3, 1, again, if you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And so right off the bat, Paul gives us the most important part. Christians have died to their old self. They've been born again to a new nature that should now have and should be desiring the things of God, the things of God. And what we want to look at, too, is understanding that that word if right there actually really is since, since you are risen with Christ. Seek those things that are above. And so what that means for us is three little phrases that we often use here, we often say. The first one is new affections. When we are saved, we have new affections. The things that we loved before, we no longer love anymore. Okay, We have new affections. Then we also have new aversions. The things that we did love before salvation, we no longer want them. We no longer love them either. Those things, those sins in our life. And no ambivalence, no question, no uh, 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 doubt of our salvation, of the change in our life. And Paul actually begins talking about being risen with Christ back in uh, verse number 12 of chapter 2. So you may just have to look across the page, you may have to turn a page. But uh, in Colossians 2.12, says this, Buried with him in baptism, wherein also ye are risen with him 
through the faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And, of course, this is what we just celebrated this past Sunday, Colossians 2. Buried with him in baptism, risen with him through the faith of the operation of God. We have a new identity. It's not the same as before. We're identifying with Christ. That's what baptism does. It helps us identify with Christ and shows what's already happened in our life. We have that new identity. And so Paul continues that same thought still in, in, in chapter 2. Look at verse 20. It says, Wherefore, if ye be dead with Christ from the rudence of the world, why, as though living in the world, are you subject to ordinances? And he goes on from there. Why are you continuing to live according to the world's philosophies? Why are you continuing to live in this particular case according to the Old Testament law? But why are you living according to those things? We don't have to now, and we should not, try to seek to find our identity and who we are in anything the world has to offer for us. Our identity is now in Christ, and so our pursuit should be redirected. The finished work of Jesus Christ that saves us. You're risen with Christ. It's his work of redemption. It's nothing that we have done on our own. And it's a declaration of certainty. Because again, the idea is since, since you're risen, since you already have this life, since you're already there, it's certainty that your identity is with Christ. We've been raised with Christ. That's what he says. You've been raised with Christ in verse 1. So what are we to do now? Well, we're to seek those things which are above. So immediately, Paul says, all right, since we're risen with Christ, we now need to have our focus shifted from down here on earth. We need to shift our focus to above and to see the heavenly things and to have a pursuit that is in that direction. Seeking there is a continual action. It's a continual action. It's not something that ever stops. We are to continue to seek after Christ. We are to continue to do those things because that's, that's how we grow in faith. We don't, we don't do these things so that we're trying to keep ourselves saved or trying to earn our salvation. We do it so that we grow in our faith. We grow up. And our focus is up. So we don't pursue the things below. Our focus is up. Not only is our focus up, seek those things which are above, there's a specific target that we are to seek after that is above. And that is where Christ is seated on the right hand of God. And so our, our, our teachings, the things that we ground our theology in, our values, and all those things should be instead grounded on the theology of heavenly things, the, the theology of uh, God's word, and not on what this world teaches and what it says. And so Paul is challenging the Colossians here and, and us today as well to reorient our lives to the heavenly reality that we already have in Christ. We already have it. He actually says this also in Ephesians 2.6. And Paul here writing says this, And hath raised us up, speaking of God, hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So our focus is directed upward and to Christ in Colossians, in Ephesians, Paul says we're sitting together. There's a positional thing already because of salvation where we are seated with Christ already. So we let that be our identity. We let that be our guide and allow that reality to direct our earthly pursuits and not the wisdom of this world. It's so easy, I think, to become captive to the thinking of this world. It's so easy for us to get distracted to allow the things around us to sort of creep in. But instead, we are seeking for the eternal and not the temporal, seeking the wisdom of God and not the wisdom of man, not becoming captive to this world. It means we need to recalibrate our heart's desires. That's what it really is. What we pursue then 
should be measured by the value in Christ's kingdom, what we pursue and how we pursue it, because what we pursue is aligned up and wrapped around our identity. It becomes that way. Our will becomes aligned with his. Our desires become his desires, and our pursuits then are changed as we are seeking those things that are above. Not only is our life's pursuit redirected, but our life's perspective is reshaped. Look at verse number two now. Life's perspective reshaped. It says, set your affection on things above, not on things of the earth. So Paul's not denying the reality or the value that earthly things does have. He just stresses that our new value system now should treasure the heavenly things and no longer treasure the earthly things. And these two verses are parallel to each other. They go together, actually, uh, in a way that's a little bit more obvious in the original Greek. The previous verse, verse number one, dealt with our heart's desires. You know, where does your heart, where is your heart pointing? What is it, what is it treasuring? And now the parallel verse here, here deals with our minds. In fact, if you have a modern translation in front of you, verse number two probably says, set your mind on things above or set your, set your mind uh, on those things, whereas before it was different. We reorient, as one commentator said, we reorient our volitional will to Christ, to Christ. And, and so, and so uh, we, are, we are admonished to not only uh, seek uh, God with our hearts, but also here uh, with our minds. And that's also what Jesus tells us. Matthew twenty two thirty seven says this, Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. So how do we do that? How do we love God? How do we worship God with our mind? We set our affections on his will and not on our own. It reorients us and reorients our perspective and what we're looking at that's reshaped to that. You know, again, these two verses go together, but verse number one has a very strong idea of striving. When I hear the word striving, I always think about some kind of physical activity. I'm striving over something. It's a physical activity. In verse number two, the, the idea there is concentrating. That always gives me a focus of my mind, right? I'm concentrating on something I have to pay attention with my mind to what's going on. There's similar phrases, but for those two little differences right there. So we reshape our thoughts and our perspectives on the eternal realities of salvation that we have right now. And it's very foundational for us to do this because it's part of the process of sanctification as well. Our minds must be reshaped to reinterpret the world through their eternal realities of salvation and through the eternal reality of things above and not of earthly things. It protects our mind as well from thinking about things the way the world does. Our culture is constantly trying to conform us uh, to the way that they think. The culture is all around us. It permeates us and tries to make us think in the same way uh, that they do. But scripture has an answer for that too. Romans 12, 12. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And the culture trying to reshape our mind, we need to get into God's word so that it's the one that's shaping our mind. It's shaping our perspective. I, I, I saw this uh, phrase. We used it, I think, a couple months ago when we were 
going through that uh, book from West, not West Coast, but uh, Moody Bible, the Moody Bible one. We were going through that on Sunday night, the Moody Bible one. And uh, the phrase just said this, if you want to know, if you want to know what uh, water is, don't ask a fish. If you want to know what water is, don't ask a fish. And the idea there is they don't know what it is because they're so immersed in it. They couldn't tell you what it is. The truth of the matter is that a lot of times we're so immersed in the things going on around us and the world is pulling at us all the time that we don't even realize it. I was listening to John MacArthur the other day. He was preaching on the same passage, slightly different application, but preaching on the same passage of Scripture. I was listening to him preach, and he said this, the best way or one of the ways that you can kind of reorient or, or, or get your thinking in, in a different place is when you go on a mission trip. When you go on a mission trip, whether it's, you know, a couple states away, a different part of our country, or it's around the world to a different country in general, you're going to immediately have a culture shock, right? You're not going to be in the same place that you're comfortable in anymore. And it will become very obvious to you the great need that people there have for salvation, the great need that people have there because the culture has so changed uh, that you are caught off guard, so to speak. But the reality is this, and he went on to say this. He said the reality is this, that the people that are hundreds of miles away from you are no more lost than your next-door neighbor. But we don't always see the things whenever we're in our own culture, when we're in our own way, because it's so in our minds all the time. So we don't let culture have that stronger hold. We don't let culture have that uh, um, control over our mind. We instead need our perspective through a new culture, through what the Bible teaches us, to shape our minds and put that culture shock into us. So as we go out into the world, we are able to better uh, address the situations that come up. It has a stronger hold in our minds sometimes than, than I think we realize our culture around us. The cultural perspective we hold shapes our identity as well. Just like uh, the pursuits we have, the perspective we hold also shapes our identity. And so we ought to live then instead in the reality of our identity with Christ allowing that to shape uh, what we are. So what is that? What is that new culture? What is that perspective? Well, here it is. You just go back with me a, a few pages, maybe. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. A new perspective. We can have peace in our lives, real peace, not the kind of peace the world gives, but a peace that God gives to us. God's peace in our lives, Philippians 4, 6 through 8 says this, Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And here's what our minds to be set on then. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, Think on these things. Where are our minds to be? Our minds are to be on those things because in those ways we receive and we can experience the peace of God in our lives, that our minds are focused in the right place, our perspective. How about hope? Hope in the middle of trials. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Hope in the midst of trials. Hope in the midst of things that we don't always understand. Our new perspective gives us this as well. So, uh, verse uh, 16 through 18, 2 Corinthians 4, 16 to 18. For which cause we faint not, 
But though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are not seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We have a focus and a perspective on eternal things that gives us a hope and helps our perspective to be in the right place when trials come into our lives or when things happen that we don't always understand. We have a sound mind. Go to Romans, Romans chapter 8. Where is our mind set now? Romans chapter 8. What is it that gives us a foundation for our mind to be set on? Romans 8, verse 6 and 7. For to be carnally minded, for to be carnally minded is enmity, or excuse me, is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. But, to, but our having our spiritual mind gives us a perspective in the right place, gives us a new focus for where we should be looking, where we should be uh, evaluating things through in these ways. What is our new perspective? We can have those things. Finally tonight, looking here, life's purpose redefined. Life's purpose redefined. Go back to our main text again. Life's purpose redefined. Verse 3 and 4. For ye are dead, your life is hid with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So in these two verses here, Paul is pulling all of this stuff together uh, and, and bringing it all to a, 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 a unified whole. Your pursuits and your perspective, though, will define the purpose and direct your steps toward your identity, very much so. So if our pursuits are in the wrong direction, our perspective is in the wrong direction, our purpose will also be misguided as well. Our identity will have the wrong purpose as well. Similar to how a person who gets themselves so wrapped up into what they do or what their work or their job title, some other type of worldly identity, they can be misdirected if we're not focusing on Christ, if we're not realizing the truth uh, of what Paul is uh, teaching here. This was a, a phrase that, that came up la uh, Sunday night that was in our study, but it really goes well with tonight. Uh, and we were talking about where our attention and where our focus should be. But it was a phrase that Pastor Jason used, and it said this, life flows where your attention goes. Life flows where your attention goes. And so your, your pursuits and your perspective will affect your attention and ultimately will direct the, where your steps are going, where your life is going, what are you pulling your identity into. But Paul goes back here and says, this is where your identity is. It's in Christ. It's in Christ. And so you have no right to your own will. Look at verse 3 again, for ye are dead. There's, there's a stronger, stronger language, I think, in, in the Greek, and, and sometimes modern translations translate it straight this way as well. It just says, for you died. For you died. Now, I'm going to be gentle and, and whatever when I say this, but a, a, a person who's died has no ability to do anything. They have no ability to exert their own will. They have no ability... To, uh, to make decisions, the things around them no longer affect them. They can't do that. Right now, everybody here has the will. You could literally say, I'm done listening to Pastor Tommy. I'm getting up and walking out the door and going home. You could do that. But a person who has died has no will, has no ability to do that. And that's, what, that's literally the way that we are to uh, uh, presume ourselves. 
We have no right to our own will. Paul says this as well in a kind of a similar thought in Philippians 1.21. For me to live is Christ. You're dead. Your life is hid with Christ. That's in, in, uh, in, our, in our text. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Spiritually speaking, then, we live here on earth, but our identity is not in us or anything that we can do or anything that we seek here on earth. Our identity is in Christ completely with the risen Christ. He is then the total focus of our life here and now and where we're at. Galatians 2.20 says this, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, the same idea right there as, as we've been looking at already. I'm not living, but Christ is living in me. My life is hidden with Christ. My identity and who I am is in Christ. These verses flow together as well, these last two verses. They flow together as well. Notice there's a progression. Verse number three says, For you are dead, for ye died, for you died. That's what happened in the past. When you became a Christian, when you accepted Christ as your Savior, that old nature was dead. That old nature was no longer uh, in charge. You had a new nature, a new reality, a new identity in Christ. That's the past. But then look at it and going on. It says, your life is hid. This is the present reality that we live in. Your life is hid in Christ. Your life is hidden in Christ. But then there's a future as well because it goes on in verse 4. When Christ, who is our life, it says it again there, who is our life, shall appear. That's talking about the future. One day Christ is going to return. He's coming again, and we live in light of that now. And we will have a greater understanding of what it means to be seated with Christ and what it means to have that identity when we uh, experience that, if, if we experience the rapture or the day that the Lord takes us home. He is our life. But living in light of that, see, there's that past there's the present reality, and there's the future expectation and hope. And living in light of that uh, reality and the return of Christ should help us to keep our focus off the things of this world and onto the things that are heavenly, to keep our focus up, the pursuits of this world. Scott Pace in the commentary on Colossians said this, Christ's imminent return is not intended to simply foster dreams of heaven. We must allow our identity in Christ and his promised return to redefine our purpose. We have a new purpose now in light of that event coming one day. We're citizens of heaven. And in the same way that we have citizenship in America and we have values and things that, uh, that define us as that, we are citizens of heaven. There are values and there are things that define what a Christian is and how a Christian lives, what their identity should be. And we uh, can live that way now. We should. What are the things about Christ? that should define us as Christians. Three things. First of all, we seek first the kingdom of God. Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1. We seek the kingdom of God. Why? Because we have an inheritance that awaits us. Verse number 12 of chapter 1. Giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. We have a heavenly inheritance. And so we have a different purpose on this life because of that. But also we live in assurance and in certainty in a world full of uncertainty. Isn't our world today full of uncertainty? Look at Colossians 1.27. To whom God would make known what is the riches of glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. 
we have that assurance of the hope of glory. We have that assurance of Christ. Why? And this the world may be uh, full of uncertain things, but we have certainty in the middle of all that. And we live also with urgency, urgency, carrying the gospel to a lost world. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead. Be ye reconciled to God. It's the message that we uh, proclaim, the message that we should proclaim to others. Be reconciled to God. Accept him as your Savior. Be saved today. There's an urgency. The call has gone out to trust in God through Jesus Christ. And that's how we live as citizens of heaven. We have this hope. We're motivated to share the gospel. Our, Our pursuits and our perspectives and our purposes are all redefined as we look and see where is our real identity. Our real identity is in Christ. That identity is not only on the individual level, but again, it is on the corporate level as well. The identity of Christ as a body of believers here unifies us and calls us into one. We have corporate pursuits. We have corporate perspectives. We have a corporate purpose in meeting together and and in being in community of faith together. We have commonality with people in this room, and that goes beyond the worship service itself or any time we gather. We share beliefs. We have common interests. We have a community of faith. But our identity not only connects us to the people that are present here with us, it connects us to people in the past. And not just saints that have gone on before us in recent years, but all the way back to Acts, all the way back to the early church, and all of the people throughout church history, the same faith that they had in Jesus Christ alone is the same faith that we have today. This is the same faith that we share today. So we have a commonality even with them. And if the Lord were to tarry and all of us were to be in glory without going through the rapture, but instead there'd be several new generations in the future, guess what? We'd have a connection to them too because Christ is our identity. Every time there is a proclamation, we should have an opportunity for a call as well. I know it's a Wednesday night crowd, but you may have been sitting there thinking, you know, I... I've never really found my identity in Christ because I'm not really sure that I've ever accepted Christ. You can't find your identity in Christ if you have never accepted him first as your Savior. And so if that's the case for you tonight, I I would pray that you would get that settled tonight and make sure that you do know that. Begin to find your identity in Christ after salvation. But maybe, again, Wednesday night crowd, there is, everyone here would say, you know what, I know I'm saved. I know I've got that moment in my life where I've accepted Christ as my Savior but I've been kind of placing my identity in something else. I've been seeking to find my identity in something other than Christ. I've been pursuing or having my perspective in the wrong place. I haven't been sure about my purpose. Get that aside. Lay that aside too tonight. Live in the reality of our identity of Christ. Seek after Christ. Seek the things above and put our focus in the place where we're told to in Scripture here that, that we're admonished to do those things. I pray that that would be a prayer for us tonight. Let's stand together here. We sing a song as we go out. This song is...